Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to our friend Murata Tesh of The Athletic as the trade deadline is nearing. Are the Jets going to make a move? And if so, who is in the crosshairs for possible acquisitions? Looks like it's going to be on the blue line, but how much are they willing to give up? We'll talk about that. Also, we'll talk to Damian Rock of Valor FC, assistant coach, on where things stand right now with the CPL as well as the two newest additions to the club, both on loan from Montreal. That's coming up on the podcast. Murat Atesh of The Athletic joins us now to talk some Winnipeg Jets. Murat, how are you doing tonight? Doing quite well. How are you guys doing? Doing well. We're on the air. That's the number one priority. So uh, <laughs> at this time next week, Murat, I guess the simple question is this. Will the Winnipeg Jets a week from now look different personnel-wise, than the Winnipeg Jets do right now? I have to believe that, yes, they do go shopping for a defenseman specifically. We've talked about it before, right? We've talked about the big names especially. Matthias Ekholm seeming ever less likely. David Savard, a possibility to be sure, probably a good fit. But from where I stand, and I don't think that this is too far off of how the Jets see it as well, is that, you know, Blake Wheeler, he's not going to be an impact top six player forever. Pierre-Luc Dubois, he costs $5 million in cap space right now and for one more season. That's going to change. Neil Pionk is getting a big raise this summer. Paul Stastny, who's been incredible. Adam Lowry, who's been really resurgent this year. They're going to be unrestricted free agents after this season. I mean, there's a lot of things going well in Winnipeg that feel immediate term. So they're not contenders, but I have to think that they're going to look at those strengths, plus Connor Hellebuck, and say it's time to invest in their defenseman. And the fact that they're in the North Division this year and the current uh, setup is that one of the four teams in the North is going to be in the Final Four. And I think the pathway there is, I don't know if it's easier than it normally would be, but it's more clear than it would normally be to get to the Final Four. Yeah, no team in the North Division is unbeatable. That's for sure. So uh, the clarity of that is is really at the forefront of all of this. I don't think that Winnipeg is an absolute contender in the in the true sense of the word, where in a normal year at the trade deadline, there's three or four teams just that seem to be favorites above everybody else. That's not the kind of trade deadline where um, that I think we're going to see from the Jets. So top prospects like Billy Hainala, off limits. That's not going to happen. Cold for Betty, cold per Betty, pardon me, forget about it. I was trying to say it. Um, so where they are at, though, is there's a clear path. Second in the division right now, Edmonton, Montreal behind them, Toronto in front of them. Those are almost definitely going to be the four Canadian playoff teams. And I don't think there's even one of those teams you, you can't think Winnipeg would beat in a seven-game series. They'd all be close. I'm not saying Winnipeg's a favorite against every single one of these guys, but the route is there, the path is there, and it just feels more winnable than the Western Conference traditionally would be in a normal setup. Well, right now, if you're looking at the the NHL standings, the Jets currently sit in 10th, Vegas is 7th, and Colorado is on a tear. They're in first place right now, and everyone else is in the uh, what we normally call the Eastern Conference. But it, as far as personnel is concerned, last time we had you on a couple weeks ago, it looked like Ekholm and Savard were kind of the two guys Safe to say that the gauge has moved a little bit, and maybe they're looking at more uh, discount purchases coming up in the next week? 
I think so. And I, I think the reason for that is the playoff picture, just like you said. I mean, Nashville's up to 41 points. They're in fourth spot in the Central. So how much in a hurry are they going to be to trade Matias Ekholm, who's a big part of the success that they're having? They're on an 8-2-0 out of their last 10 right, run right now as well. So if he's not on the market or his price has just skyrocketed, skyrocketed, pardon me, then you turn to David Savard. And I know that you know, I believe he's a good fit in terms of his strengths. I can clear the middle of the ice. He's good in front of his net. He can move the puck as well. I mean, he could step onto that top pair with Josh Morrissey, but that price just went up too because he's the front runner in all of this. And now you've got Vancouver's, uh, you know, COVID situation. I know Calgary's headed towards a, a bit of a fire sale as well, but I don't think there's a fit there. Uh, so the the market is changing. I might circle back if I were a Jets fan to Buffalo, where they're almost certainly going to be dealing. And whether that's Colin Miller, uh, I don't think it's Rasmus or Stalinen necessarily. Uh, but there's options in, in Buffalo, to be sure. Uh, other than that, I, I mean, it's going to have to be more of a discount. Kevin Sheveldayoff special, like Dylan DeMello for a third-round pick last year. Now, before we move off this, the North Division, is there any person that the Jets could trade for in the north and just get into the lineup right away or are they going to have to do the seven-day quarantine if they make a deal you know it's my understanding and this uh, you know I, I like to give a clear sense of what I know and don't and it's my understanding that it depends on the mechanism of transport and if it's commercial or in any public way then the seven days uh, COVID tests on days one three five and seven and then they can join the team continues to apply within Canada um, but if there's some sort of private arrangement made, uh, that uh, then that can be skipped. But that's worth double-checking anybody who's listening. I don't want to overstate what I'm absolutely sure okay. about. So if they trade for Mike Riley on Monday, he can just jump in the Jets lineup on Monday because they're against <laughs> Ottawa on Monday. Yeah, you know, that, that would be my understanding of that situation. And, and there's a great dark horse option as well. I mean, I mean a puck possession uh, dynamo in a, set, in a sense. A lot of offense as well. And even in the game, you know, that close 4-3 game uh, against Winnipeg draws a penalty by making such a great stretch pass. I mean, there's a, there's a skill set to be watching for, for sure. So, who, who bet, which defenseman on the Jets lineup would benefit the most from an acquisition? That's a great question. And I mean, you have to sort of do a revolving chair dance to, to figure out exactly how the, the pieces would move. I think that if we're talking about David Savard or Josh Manson, two big, strong, right-handed defensemen uh, who theoretically would slip perfectly into that top pair beside Josh Morrissey, well, then Josh Morrissey is the one who gains. Tucker Pullman also gains, to my way of thinking, because he's been you know, solid in a top four role at times, but absolutely excellent whenever bounced below that. But then you have to ask the question, Logan Stanley, he's played so well. Is it fair for him to come out of the lineup? For me, Dylan DeMello is already too good to be on a third pairing. So there, it depends really on how it shakes out. If Winnipeg does end up with a big fish like Savard or like Josh Manson, well, then all of a sudden I think Josh Morrissey's life is the one that improves the most. Um, if they're able to pry a towering defenseman like Jamie Oleksiak out of, uh, uh, out of Dallas or perhaps even Patrick Nemeth out of Detroit, I think Neil Pionk might get a benefit there. He's been great with Derek Forbert, but I think, I'm not sure what you think about this, but I think Derek Forbert's excellence from the e- early part of the season has faded to solid, and I think that there's room for an upgrade in that, in that spot as well. So it really depends on what Kevin Sheveldayoff is able to do fit-wise in terms of the assets that he collects. Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment of, of Forbert's play, and play, playing with Pionk has certainly bolstered his 
numbers for sure this year. Looking at the forward group, Murat, we've had a couple months now with Pierre-Luc Dubois playing in a number of different spots on the top six. I know the Jets have 17 games left, and they're, they're going to move the lines around more still between now and the playoffs. Do you have any thought on what the optimal construction is of the Jets forward group? You know, I struggle with this a little bit because you have, you know, an emerging sense of a top nine with Coplauer and Appleton being able to score. You have a supposed top six with Kyle Connor, Mike Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers, Stastny, Dubois, and Wheeler as well. And it used to be that you could sort of count on that quote-unquote top six and then that third line being next up. Um, I, I think that Winnipeg's getting a little bit more mileage out of that offensively right now. But at the same time, you know, I, I think we've had a lot of dialogue about that third line. Okay, they're not a checking line anymore. You know, metrics-wise, analytically, they're not dominating the flow of play quite like they used to uh, either in, as they get more offense as well. So as much as Kopp and Lowry are a sure thing, I'm not sure that the Jets are beyond changing that. I'm definitely not sure that the Jets are beyond moving Connor uh, back to Shifley with Wheeler, giving Stastny, Dubois, and Ehlers a chance to go. But I think that the skill sets are just so uh, similar in some cases. For example, if you have Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers on the same line, I know Kyle Connor is more of a straight-line skater, more of a pick-your-spot sort of guy, but I think both of them are players that just love to have the puck on their stick and, and attack with speed. Um, I like the combination of size on the Stastny Dubois and Wheeler line as well. I think that we'll see more tinkering, and I honestly don't know exactly where it's going to land. Just never forget about that Connor Shifley wheeler possibility because Paul Maurice has pulled it out in the big moments time and time again over the years. Right. The question would be, this is all assuming that you're just shuffling the top six deck and I guess leaving the bottom six intact, but is there not an argument to be made that the Jets would be best served having Lowry, Stasny, Dubois, and Shifley as your four centers? I like it. I absolutely do, and it depends on what the you know, the the juggling that comes after it is. Because if you move uh if you move Stastny, for example, to we'll call it third line center if Adam Lowry's number four, Dubois number two, for example, you end up with some very good players not necessarily getting a lot of minutes unless you're willing to spread them out. I think there's an analytical argument to do that, to do exactly what you said. I mean, the skill, the quality of um, of Shively, Stastny, Dubois and Lowry un, are unmatched. Um, I, I think in the North Division, and then you get into a situation where you might want to peel back that top six, bottom six way of thinking. Um, at the same time, I really think that based on Maurice's past, that fourth line's not getting touched necessarily. Um, and also, when you go back to 2018, when Winnipeg was extremely deep and had Stastny the first go round, they really enjoyed using two centers per line wherever possible. In the big moments, you'd sometimes see them overlap. Uh, so that for face-offs or, or what have you as well. So I'm not sure that when push comes to shove, they're moving away from it as much as the argument could exist. Okay, interesting. So I guess a part of it is also health. If the they're, they've been knocking on wood all season, the top 12 has been pretty much locked and loaded for most of the year, which is a blessing for them for sure, and they hope it continues. But uh, just looking ahead to the immediate future, Murat, the Jets have had a little bit of trouble with the Montreal Canadiens this year, and even recently against teams that are in the playoffs. They lost twice to Toronto and then lost twice to Edmonton, taking care of Calgary and Ottawa and Vancouver. Do you think it's important for the Jets to show well in these two games in Montreal? Because they've got a huge gauntlet coming up at the end of the month with a ton of games against Toronto and Edmonton again. 
I think so. I think it's a matter of pride. And Winnipeg has a good record against most teams in the Canadian division. Certainly, you know, this year and in the past. I mean, Montreal is capable of giving Winnipeg huge headaches. They play a big, powerful game. More importantly, their forecheck is fast and has taken time and space away from Winnipeg's defensemen, caused problems with the breakout. It's a style of play. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois said it best when he said that Montreal sometimes is like bees. They come out of nowhere. And that's been an issue. And if there's a weakness on the Winnipeg Jets, it's on defense, not just in terms of coverage, but once the time and space is removed, how well the breakouts happen. And that's, that includes forwards as well. And when I talk about the defense and breakouts, I mean, that has been an issue and Montreal has had some success there. So knowing that there's a clear top four in the North, you're likely playing, you know, Toronto, Winnipeg, or sorry, Toronto, Edmonton, or Montreal in the playoffs. You have to believe that the players involved want to know that they can beat and play against any style when push comes to shove. Jets 4-2 and two against Montreal this season. Three of those wins, though, coming in overtime, which are a lot different in the playoffs than they are in the regular season, three-on-three format. All right, before I let you go, Murat, putting your money down, who are the Jets trading for? Pick a name. Pick a name. I think we're going to have, a, I don't want to say a surprise exactly, but I don't think that it's going to be Ekholm, for example. I, I need to give you something. I still say that they're in on Savard, even as much as the insiders have pushed away from that name in recent times. I think that's the front runner to, to keep an eye on. And if you want a complete out of left field dark horse, I, I, I see some reasons to connect Alex Goligoski to Winnipeg as well. Goligoski. Okay. Well, there we go. You've got it. We'll hold you to that, Murad. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and we'll chat soon. Thank you very much. As Murad Atesh, you can find his work at The Athletic. His latest article is detailing the updated targets and new dark horses as the trade, trade deadline market shifts. Fowler FC today acquired two players on loan, Canadian forward Sean Rea and Canadian goalkeeper Jonathan Sirwa, both on loan from CF Montreal. They were formerly known as Montreal Impact. If you forgot, they did rebrand. They are now CF Montreal, Club de Foot Montreal, if you're really Anglo. And here to talk about the additions as well as what's coming up for them is assistant coach of Valor FC, Damian Rock. Damian, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm well, Christian. How are you? Good. Let's talk about uh, the loan process here for those who are uninitiated how does a loan work in in soccer yeah well i mean it's it's obviously a different sort of concept to the traditional uh, north american model in terms of how players are, are moved around but essentially um, the players rights are owned by by the the opposing club in this case it's cf montreal and um you know they they certainly have a bright they see bright prospect for the player and and want to retain his services going forward. But uh, given their current roster makeup, feel that they don't have um, a, a spot for them readily available at the moment. So in, in that kind of a situation, obviously we look to benefit from bringing on a player who clearly is at an MLS level um, and, 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 and aspires to be at that level in the future. And then we can use, uh, obviously bring those kinds of players in to, to, our, to our, our squad for the upcoming season. So we've obviously had ongoing discussions with with them and with other MLS teams as well as clubs sort of in the region um outside of MLS and it's uh, it's an ongoing process that sort of you know we we go through in the off season and and we were fortunate to be able to get Jonathan and uh, Sean signed 
Now, folks will remember last year, James Pantamus on loan from Montreal. He was great for your club inside the Island Games bubble. Is that relationship building part of running a soccer club, going back to the same team there for this time around as well? I think it is. I think, uh, you know, credit obviously has to go to Patrick DiStefani, our goalkeeper coach, who, who worked uh, closely with James and, of course, with Matt Silva, who's re- who signed with us as well um, to, to come back this season. Um, they, they obviously see uh, they've got a good rapport with Patrick and and his reporting mechanisms back to the club and, and, and how he works with or how he worked with James on a daily basis. So I think that went a really long way um, in, in giving them confidence and in, in allowing us to continue to develop their player for all intents and purposes. Um, but yeah, I mean, those conversations were, were ongoing, going back all the way to September when we were still in PEI. Um, and I think, you know, it's important to know as well, you know, we've kind of gone through some growing pains in the first few years of people globally not really knowing what the level of CPL was going to be. Um, they needed to get a little more affirmation in terms of, you know, anything from facilities to staff to the level of competition. And, um, you know, James obviously coming over from CF Montreal last year, uh, like you said, went a long way in validating um, their comfort level with us as a club and what we offer in terms of the training environment and the competition that we provide. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of a process, and I think people are really getting to understand that uh, the CPL is for real. And, and, and um, yeah, we're, we're, again, like I said, it, it certainly did, I think, provide them comfort in, in getting Jonathan to us and Sean as well. And these are two young players. Uh, Sean is 18 years old. He turns 19 in May, and Jonathan turns 20 in June. Uh, is that a – what – when you bring in someone of that age, are you looking for them to just develop or are they going to be called upon to make uh, an immediate impact in the lineup? Well, I, I think it's important for, for people who aren't acquainted with this CPL to know that there, there are certain rules around um, playing time for younger players. So in this case, uh, the under-21 Canadians have to accumulate a certain threshold of minutes over the course of the year, not, not as individuals, but collectively. So certainly I think there's going to be um, a lot of opportunity given what we believe will be a condensed schedule coming up for players uh, from the top to the bottom of the roster to contribute heavily to, to the season given you know, we may be three or four days between games, which in professional soccer is not a lot of recovery time. So there's going to be a lot of wear and tear on these players. And I think um, you know, uh, we expect these, both of these players to come in and play a significant role uh, Sean, we had a chance to, to scout in Florida last year when he was part of their U23 team. Uh, we followed him closely over uh, the winter and, and leading into uh, the end of the MLS season last year where he, where he got called into a Champions League uh, match for TFC, uh, sorry, for uh, CF Montreal. So, um, you know, we, we know that they, they bring a very good pedigree, a very good playing background, and we know that they were both very close to the first team this year, which is a testament to the level that they're at. So we expect them to contribute. Um, you know, and it may take time for them to, to get accustomed to, to the new environment, but certainly uh, we, we obviously have high hopes for both of them. Regarding 2021, Damien, what are you allowed to tell us about what the season is going to look like, or do you know? Well, I, I, you know, frankly, I'm probably, uh, you know, the, the average CPL fan probably knows as much as I do, to be com- completely honest. I mean, Certainly, I think there's a lot of discussion around what's going to make the most sense uh, financially. Um, 
I'm, I'm speculating that what's happened in Ontario with the setback related to COVID in the recent weeks here may have an impact on, on, on the starting date or, or, or what format it takes. So I know that the ownership group in the league are working really hard to come up with a, a solution. I know that there's a very strong impetus to get a, a strong season or a full season in. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's not really in doubt. I don't think anybody should be concerned with whether or not we're going to be playing a full slate of games. I think that's uh, definitely in the cards. Of course, it, anything's, you know, everything's fluid right now with the way, you know, um, if everything's going with the pandemic. But um, I, I, our hope, of course, is to get the full 28 games in and, and the two uh, Canadian championship games uh, at a minimum, and, and then we'll take it from there. And so what's immediately on the front burner for Valor FC right now? Do you know when you're going to be able to gather and train as a group? Yeah, so I think what we we need clarity on uh, really in the short term is what the official starting date is going to be. And then what we do is work backwards from there. Um, in in the, the immediate future, our, our, our real priority is, is to get uh, the players into the city because there's still the two-week quarantine process. We don't have the exemption that the NHL has, to my knowledge. So we need to get them in. Um, two weeks to sit uh, for professional soccer players is a fairly long time in terms of them keeping their cardio levels as high as possible. So our priority is really to try and get them in as quickly as possible. Um, there's all kinds of complications around international travel that uh, complicate that. And, of course, we're still waiting for um you know, a handful of players to get their work permits, which of course is another process altogether. So yeah, I think the immediate concern is to just get everybody in place and then hopefully, um, you know, we, we get clarity on the, on a starting date as soon as possible. Well, I hope we get some clarity soon and we can actually have some uh, soccer soon. It'd be great. And that would obviously mean that things are going well COVID wise in this country. Damien, appreciate your time tonight and uh, best of luck with everything. Thanks Christian. Nice speaking with you. As Valor FC assistant coach Damian Rock joining us on the show. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but